I'll be reading from the King James Version. We're going to be going to Ephesians, the fourth chapter, the 17th through the 24th verse. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you henceforth walk, not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their hearts, who being past feelings have given themselves over unto lasciviousness, to work all uncleanliness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, for if, <clears throat> if so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversations, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitfulness lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. You may be seated. Well, I'm very happy to be with you today, and it's always a privilege for me to address such a fine assembly and audience of people, uh, a group of people I know that's very interested in the Word of God and desires to do the will of God, and it's always a privilege for me to be able to face such a fine congregation. And I'm delighted at the reading of God's Word. Thank you, Virgil, for that, and, and for the singing today. Uh, we're very grateful for the prayers that have been offered and the men who've led us in worship. Thank you so much for the very fine way that you've conducted our worship today. Out in the foyer, you will find the brochure for our Searching the Scriptures Forum. And this brochure, I encourage you to take several and give it to some of your friends and encourage them to come. And as you will see on the brochure, it starts Monday night, September the 19th, and continues Tuesday and Wednesday night, the 21st, of September each evening at 7 p.m. These are the questions which you have suggested, and they're very good questions. You've submitted co questions uh, for consideration. Brother Don Hatch is going to be with us once again, along with Brother Robert Johnson from Longview. Brother Johnson will be new to us. He has not been on the panel before. And also Brother Clay Williams will be new to us from the Dallas area, and he will be dealing with some of these very crucial questions. So I ask that you take uh, some brochures, study the questions over, and you'll be better prepared to listen carefully and learn what the Bible has to say with our lives. All of this, of course, would not be possible were it not for your continued support of this particular program. I am very grateful to you and for you that you want uh, the Word of God taught. We want these issues discussed and all of it settled by whatever the Bible has to say. And so I look forward to September. Uh, September 19, 2021, and I hope you do as well. More will be said about that. I hope that when the announcements are made, you listen very carefully. The announcements are important. These good men who deliver the announcements for us have a difficult job. It's not easy making announcements, and so I'm glad they've got that job rather than me. And listen carefully to them, and as those announcements apply, 
I hope that you will enter in and participate. I'm impressed with the fact that so much of the New Testament talks about living this new life in Christ Jesus. It doesn't really matter what kind of organization you are a part of. You may be um, applying and get a new job. And when you go into that new line of work, you align yourself with the goals and with the aspirations to make it a more profitable enterprise. That's why you've been hired. And so you align yourself up with the goals of that new job, that new organization, and you work to accomplish those goals. Maybe that you're on a new team. You're a new member of the ball team, baseball team, or football, or, or basketball. And then you line yourself up with the rules and the regulations of the organized sport. And you try to accomplish the goal of that particular sport. It might be that you're part of a service organization. And there are a number of good service organizations out there. It might be Civitan. It might be Lions Club. Uh, it might be Rotary or some fine community service organization like that. It's not a religious organization. It's a service organization to help people in the community and make the community a better place to live. And even there, you sort of line yourself up with the purposes and the goals and the ideals of that particular service organization. Now, that's the way it is with the New Testament church. When we became part of the family of God, by repenting of our sins and confessing our faith, and by being immersed in water for the remission of sins, as the Bible teaches, then we sort of lined ourselves up with the goals and the aspirations, the obligations which God gave us. When I became a member of the church, new obligations and responsibilities were laid upon me. I recognized something of the importance of those responsibilities. Paul deals with that in, Roman, in, in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. And in furthering our discussion of Christian living, I want to talk about that today. I want to talk more about the responsibilities of being a member of the family of God. When you turn to the book of Ephesians, you're going to find it well organized and well laid out. For example, in the first part of the book of Ephesians, chapters 1, 2, and 3, you're going to have a discussion about the New Testament church. How that it was in the mind of God before the world ever began. How important the church was. A very doctrinal section with regard to the church of the New Testament. When you come away studying the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, you really see how important the church is to God. Why God's Son gave His life to purchase the church. It is the teaching of inspired apostles and prophets and Christ as the foundation and the basis of the church and its organization. But then when you get to chapters 4, 5, and 6, you start looking at Paul's instruction on how to live life in the church. And he starts teaching us about how we should organize our lives and live our lives and be the kind of people that God really wants to be as we live in this new life. I've called it kingdom living. The Bible is telling us what kingdom living has and the obligations that are there. In Ephesians 4, which begins this practical section of kingdom living, why it talks first of all about pursue unity. 
that it's something that everyone should strive. As a family member of the body of Christ, we should strive and work toward greater unity. And he emphasizes that important point for us in that section. And then as you read on down through about verse 7 through 16, he talks about pursuing maturity. And he emphasizes the point that when we become children of God, that we're sort of babes in Christ, so to speak, uh, newborn spiritual babes, and we're growing and we're maturing and we're absorbing the food God has given us, the Word of God, and we grow and become more mature as time goes along because we're taking in the nourishment to make an analogy with the human body. We begin to grow and we develop, spiritually speaking. And he says this should not be just for individuals. This is for congregations as well. And he talks about congregations maturing and growing spiritually as well as individuals. Then he talks about this point that I'm really interested in today. Verses 17 through 24, our text. And thank you, Virgil, for reading it. He's talking about pursuing moral purity. And he's telling us as members of the family... We have obligations being in the kingdom. And in this kingdom living obligation, we have the obligation to really pursue moral purity. To get out of our lives the things that shouldn't be, that incorporate in those lives the things that God wants us to have, to live the kind of life God wants us to live, be the kind of example God wants us to be to others, to be salt and light, In this old wicked world, moral excellence and purity is an important instruction and obligation with kingdom living. Now that I'm in the kingdom, the family of God, by obedience to the gospel of Christ, I want to understand more about moral purity and living the kind of life that God really wants me to live. First point he makes, did you catch that when it was read this morning in verse 17? He reminds them that he is an apostle of Christ. And I see that coming up quite frequently when I read these New Testament epistles. He will tell them who he is, and he tells them he is an apostle. And it's not that they don't know already, but he's reminding them. And what's happening is when Paul faces a real tough teaching, he reminds them. This is not my opinion, but I'm an apostle of Christ. I speak concerning the will of God. Now this I say and testify in the Lord. I want you to remember something. That what I'm saying about kingdom obligations and moral purity is coming from the Lord. You know, when an individual hears the Word of God and it's preached in its plainness and its truthfulness, you are hearing the teaching of the Lord. The NIV, I thought, translated this in a pretty good way, though I'm not necessarily a fan of the NIV. Still, I thought it translated this pretty well. I insist on this in the Lord is the way they put this. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord, verse 17. He wants them to remember who exactly he is. He is an apostle, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And here it is 
in a nutshell. Don't live like the Gentiles. Now this I say in testifying the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Don't live like the Gentiles. Now at first sight, this might seem to be an insult to the Gentiles. Don't live like those people do. In the Bible way of speaking of things, either you're a Jew or you're a Gentile. The Jews are those who came from God's Old Testament people, and, and everybody else was considered to be a Gentile. The original word means the nations, the goyim, uh, those who were other than the Jewish people. And it's not meant to be an insult. Paul doesn't want us to take it that way. What he is making, oh, is a general statement. The Jews had the Word of God, and they had the benefit of the Old Testament. And the Old Testament was giving them guidance and direction, and was helping them live their lives before God, and it was teaching them the difference between right and wrong. The Gentiles didn't have that. The Jews had God's Old Testament Scriptures, but the Gentiles didn't. The Gentiles were living in a very loose and careless way morally. The Gentile world of Paul's day was a wicked world. And they were very loose morally, very careless in their living. And Paul's point in a nutshell, don't live like the Gentiles. Don't live like they do. You see, they really don't know how to live. They are non-Christian in lifestyle. I like to call it spiritual blackout. And I think as I look upon the scene today, I think we see some of what he means. They are darkened in their understanding. They got spiritual blackout. They don't know the difference between right and wrong. Don't live like the Gentiles. Not that he's insulting them. He's saying they don't understand. They don't know. They have spiritual darkness. And they don't know the difference between what's right and what's wrong. Don't live like that. You're in the family of God. There are kingdom obligations to living in the kingdom of God. One is moral purity. I was watching some time ago a um, Fox News uh, report, and this guy um, by the name of John Stossel has this special segment on Fox News. I thought it was very interesting. segment was called Freeloading in America. And that was back, I don't know if this still holds true now in the present climate. Maybe it does. But a lot of people were finding themselves then underwater with regard to their home mortgage. In other words, housing prices and values had plummeted so low that now they owed more than what the property was worth. And so this particular website, walkaway.com, was telling you how you can walk away from your home mortgage. Just walk away from it. House is not worth the value, not worth the mortgage, so walk away from it, and this is how you do it. And you can live in that house for eight months and not pay on the mortgage, and at the end of that time, just walk away from it, leaving the bank with the mortgage. Stossel raised the question as he's interviewing the fellow that had this particular website. He says, yeah, but isn't that immoral? 
And he says, well, no. It's not immoral. You just walk away from the commitment that you've made. Now, he didn't use that word. I use that word. You just walk away. Walkaway.com. I don't know if that thing's still up on the Internet or not, but at one time I know it was because I checked it out. Not that I was going to do that, but I wanted to see if John Stossel really knew what he was talking about. Isn't that immoral? And the man said, no, it's not immoral. You see, the world has a spiritual blackout. Their hearts are darkened to what is right and wrong. They don't know the difference between what's right and wrong. Don't live like the Gentiles. We have an obligation to live morally pure lives. Don't live like that. Stossel carried this point just a little bit further. He said, well, what would it be like if the bank just automatically raised its interest rates? Would you like that? Out of the clear blue sky, they decide, we're going to raise the interest rates on the mortgage, the home loan. Um... Would you like? And he said, well, no, we wouldn't like that. We'd just walk away from it. you just walk away from it. That's, I have to agree with Stossel, that's immoral. I make a commitment to borrow money, I pay it back. If you owe money, pay it back. If you made a commitment, fulfill your commitment. We have obligations in the kingdom. And one of the great obligations that we have is moral purity. Spiritual blackout may be the problem of our day. You know, one of the Hollywood movie stars, don't you just love these characters? One of the Hollywood movie stars goes to some uh, disaster, and I can't remember exactly where it was and what it was about, a flood or earthquake or something or other. And as Hollywood movie stars kind of bring in attention to the disaster and these people need help, and all that was good. Uh, and then right out the next moment starts talking about why a woman should be able to marry a woman and a man should be able to marry a man. And I'm wondering, what's up with this? Spiritual blackout. Their understanding is darkened. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds They are darkened in their understanding. They don't know. They don't understand. And I'm certainly not going to live by that kind of rule and regulation, the kind that this world wants to impose upon me. As a member of the kingdom, I have obligations and responsibilities that I must live by. And I must not be morally ignorant of those obligations. I must live them accordingly. He says, they become calloused. Calloused. They're beyond sensitivity. They don't have any feeling about the matter. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And this is what it really comes down to. They don't have any feelings about anything but for themselves. That's the only thing that matters. What makes me happy? That's what makes them matter. That's what they live by. But we are different, verse 20. But this is not the way you learned Christ. Ephesians 4.20 
You didn't hear about this from Christ. You didn't learn this from Christ. You've heard of a different way. You've heard of how the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, cleanses our sins. And that we have an obligation to live a certain way, to live a morally upright life, as the Bible teaches and and explains it to us. That we do not live just any way that the world tells us. We are different. And we've heard about that obligation that we have before Christ. Now, I think here the NIV misses it. If you have heard of him, there is no if in that verse. And there in turn it wants to say in verse 20, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Verse 21, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Christ. That's where the truth is. It's not in the way of this world. The truth is in Christ. It reminds me of John 10. Have you studied that recently? John chapter 10, he talks about Christ as the good shepherd, and the sheep know him. They hear his voice. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. I'm in verse 3. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And he goes on and talks about a stranger. They don't follow a stranger's voice. The sheep follow the shepherd's voice. Jesus is our shepherd. And it's his voice that we should be listening to. Not the voice of this culture. Not the voice of this world. It's because we have heard Him that we now listen to Him. We do not follow what the others have said about us. Notice how he put that in our passage. Ephesians chapter 4. The point that I was alluding to just a moment ago. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, Ephesians 4, 21. What is significant about that to me is that these people probably lived past the time of having ever heard Jesus personally. Now, he makes this point, but that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him, They didn't hear it directly from Christ. They had lived beyond the point of having heard the sermons of Christ. Now they were hearing it about Him through others. Others came along and were preaching and teaching about Christ. They didn't hear it directly from Christ, but they heard it from others. But even though they heard it from others, they were still hearing the teaching of Christ, simply because it was not Christ literally doing it Himself, but it was faithfully being done by others. They were still hearing the truth of Christ, the gospel of Christ. And any time someone comes along and faithfully explains and faithfully teaches the Word of Christ, it's like Christ teaching through someone else. That's why it's so important for us to teach only the teaching of Christ and only the Word of God. Jesus is not in my presence personally teaching me literally, but He's teaching me through someone else. And now I'm listening to the teaching of another person who's faithfully explaining the Word of Christ to me. I need to listen because it's like Christ teaching me. 
they could not hear Christ personally. He was in Jerusalem. They were in Ephesus. He's gone, but His truth still lingers, and others are teaching it personally. And they learned it. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. Then this wonderful statement, put off and put on. He's telling me now how important this is. This is what you need to do. Put off his old filthy rags, verse 22. And that's what the metaphor is really trying to teach us. You know, you come in and uh, you've been working hard all day. The pants are ripped, the shirt is torn. They're soiled. Strip off the old clothes and put on the new clothes. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Put off and put on. The first thing I put off is the old way of doing things, I put off the old language, the habits, the thoughts, the actions, the behavior. I put off all the ungodly ways, and now I put on, I start living the way Christ has taught me to live. The new clothing, kingdom obligations, Christian living, moral purity. This is what you've got to do. You've got to get rid of the old self. Someone comes along and says, now Jim, it's hard for me to understand. I just don't understand it. All right, well, maybe another Bible passage will help us understand it. So I thought of Colossians chapter 3, and I direct your attention to that particular discussion. Here are four verbs in this paragraph that will help us understand the putting off and the putting on. Colossians 3, 1, if then you have been raised with Christ. That's our first verb. You've been raised with Christ. How do I put off and put on? Well, the very thing talking about being raised with Christ, the only thing that can be referenced here is my being baptized into Christ. When I was immersed in water and brought up out of the water, I was raised in a newness of life, Romans chapter 6. I have been raised with Christ, and seek the things that are above, for Christ is seated on the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth, For you have died, verse 3, my second verb. You have died. This is something that took place in the past. You have been raised, you have died. But then he directs my attention to the matter in verse 9. By doing that, he says, you have put off. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self. Putting off the old self is contingent upon my conversion to Christ. When I was obedient to the gospel of Christ, I put off the old self. It's helping me understand this putting off and putting on. It's helping me understand these kingdom obligations and the moral excellence that ought to bespeak my life. And so he says in this particular passage, he says, you've done this. You put off, put off the old self with its practices. And the fourth verb that I mentioned is found in verse 10, and have put on. The new self, 
which is being renewed in knowledge after the likeness of its creator. These particular passages help me understand what it means to live the Christian life. But notice what he said in these passages. He said in Colossians 3, this has been done. And a particular tense of those verbs is repeated four times. You have done this. You have done that. You have done this. When did that take place? Obviously, it took place when they had obeyed the gospel of Christ. And I'll stay with uh, Colossians and look at Colossians chapter 2 in this context. Verse 11 and verse 12. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism. I'm in Colossians 2 and I'm in verse 12 in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised you from the dead. Now there it is again. And this putting off and putting on is described for me in chapter 3. It tells me when it took place in Colossians chapter 2. When I, out of obedient faith, put on my Lord in baptism. That I repented of my sins. I was immersed in water. I was raised from that water to walk in a new life, a new way of life. I put off the old self, now I put on the new self. Moral obligation was laid upon me. And I took upon myself responsibility to live in a certain way. And that took place. But these passages in Colossians are talking about the fact of what has been done. This took place when I was converted to Christ, when I became a Christian. Colossians 3, and as I mentioned, Romans 6, talks about it having been taken in the past. I did this one time in the past when I was obedient to the gospel of Christ. But his point in Ephesians 4 is different. His point in Ephesians 4 tells us to put off the old self and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. What is the difference between Colossians 2 and 3, Romans 6 and Ephesians 4? Paul's point in Ephesians chapter 4 is this is something we're going to have to do over and over and over again. We're going to have to keep putting off and keep putting on. Oh, you put off that old way of life when you were baptized into Christ and became a member of the family of God. But you're going to have to keep doing it and doing it and doing it because moral excellence requires it. Just because we became Christians and we have that spiritual cleansing that God provides through the blood of His Son does not mean that this old physical body won't be tempted again because it will. I was about 10 years old when I obeyed the gospel of Christ. I've been 
preaching the gospel of Christ now some 40 years. It's all I ever really aspired to do. There have been times here and there when I thought, well, I think I'll try to do this or I think I'll try to do that. And I did. But I always saw the need to come right back to where I was in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. You would think somebody that had all the background that I did and all of the uh, training that I was afforded and all of the experience that I've been given, I wouldn't have any trouble with this. You'd think somebody who has been through this and studied this, now, man, I got this licked. Not so. He who thinketh he standeth, take heed lest he fall. We never reach such spiritual excellence and maturity whereby a person may say, got this problem licked. I don't have to worry about that. That's Paul's point in Ephesians 4. It's something we're going to have to keep after. We're going to have to stay after it. Now, there is coming a day when sin is not going to be a problem for me. When Christ comes again, and by His promise I go to glory. But that day's not here yet. And I'm going to have to strive every single day to be better and better and to work at it and to improve my life because no one gets so morally perfect and pure before the face of temptation that they do not sin. With every prayer, Lord, forgive me my sins. Oh, I put off and put on. I put off and put on when I was baptized into Christ, but it didn't stop there because this old physical body still desires to be involved in temptation and sin. And I must buffet my body daily, lest while preaching to others I myself become a castaway. Paul's point in Ephesians chapter 4, kingdom obligations are laid upon us every single day to live the morally pure, upright life. And we got a battle on our hands because Satan wants to destroy our lives. He wants to destroy our souls. And he'll do that with the temptation that he places before us. We need help on this. And the Lord has offered it. What's going to help me? He says in verse 23, And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. That's where it's going to start, isn't it? Exposure to the Word of God. If I'm going to grow in moral excellence and purity and I put off the old self every day, and I put on this new self and live the kind of life that I'm supposed to live, it's going to be a change in my mind and my thinking, and that's going to require exposure to God's Word, continual study of the Word of God, continual doing of what I study. Every Bible class is an important Bible class because the Bible is being taught there. And I need that exposure. Every faithful gospel sermon is an important sermon. And I need to be there. Because I need the exposure that I have with the Bible. So as to renew the spirit of my mind and my thinking. And to conform myself to the way the Bible teaches. 
I need the continual study of the Word of God. When the early church came together, someone would stand up and they would read the Scripture. They would read the Scripture because they didn't have the Bible in front of them. Everybody didn't have a copy. Letter would be sent to the church at Ephesus. Letter would be sent to the church at Colossae. And one of the brethren would stand up and they'd take that scroll and they'd unroll it. And they would start reading out of the Scripture, the inspired Word of God. And the people would listen to the reading of the Scripture. Today... We all have translations that we can understand in our own language. And it's readily available for us. And we open up the Bible and we follow along. I need that exposure. What a wonderful day it is that we live. Where I have this readily accessible word. I can have it in electronic form. I can have it on printed page. I always have the Bible with me. And study it. I remember an old faithful gospel preacher I used to know a long time ago. And he worked at construction site for a living. And he preached every Sunday. I'm so indebted to him. And every lunch on the job at the construction site, he had his scripture out. He's reading the scripture. Did it every day at lunch. Oh, he worked on a construction work, a hard job. He's still reading his scripture. He found time to read his scripture. Remember my grandmother, every morning, read the Bible. I guess that's where I got the habit, reading the Bible in the morning. She'd iron the clothes, and she'd have me read the Bible. Finding time to be exposed to the Word of God. Because God has laid upon me moral obligation that I need to fulfill, that I need to work on every single day. But it doesn't stop there. He's telling me to keep my mind pure and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul is emphasizing the importance Keep out of my mind the things that don't need to be in there. The mind is like a computer. It kind of takes that information in, and then if the right keys are struck, it'll bring that information back to the front. Mind sort of works like that. You're going to take that information in. But something will come up that will trigger that thought. And that thought may be a wicked thought. That thought may be a bad thought altogether because you took that thought in. That's why pornography is so dangerous and addictive in our society because that wicked information is coming in and we've got to be sure that we do not allow that information to be stored in that mind of ours so that at one point in time it will be brought back up again And we'll be involved in the same old sin. Be careful how you think. Be careful what you see. Be careful what you take in. Because the mind will bring it back up. There in turn it will be there before us. If I may add from Ephesians 3. Another point that I think is very valuable. And that's this. Pray that God will help me. Lord help me live the right kind of life. Lord help me give me strength. And I think that's his point in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, 
he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Lord, give me strength to overcome this temptation. Give me the help and the strength that I need to be the moral character that I need to do and need to be, to help me fulfill my kingdom obligations so that I won't have spiritual blackout and start listening to the culture rather than listening to my Savior. Now, I spent this morning in the first part of this lesson. Tonight, I'm going to take the rest of this chapter of Ephesians 4 and talk about it there and be more specific as Paul is more specific in this passage. And I'm going to take a look, Lord willing, tonight, a closer look at moral purity. Now, I want to start at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, going down through about verse 31. There speak more specifically to the matter of what kind of Christian I should be. Now, I hope that you'll be with us. What an important discussion it is from the pages of our Bible. Christian living, applying it as it should be applied in our day and time. If you're not a child of God, I encourage you to become one by being baptized into Christ for the remission of sins. I encourage you to repent of your sins, to say no to sin, and say, I'm going to get rid of this sin. I'm not going to continue to practice it. Confess your faith and be baptized into Christ, as the Bible teaches. Be added to that kingdom of light, delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son. You've been unfaithful as a child of God. Let's do something about that. Let's do it now by repenting of the sin and praying that God will help us overcome it and start living up to our moral obligations as members of the family of God. And I encourage you to do it now. Won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.